So here we are. We have reached the very last of our series on um, to save a family. Also known, we called it also to build strong families or building strong families. And I just want to remind you that when we started out this series, we, uh, we kind of said we had have, we have one goal. <clears throat> so often in life, we want to work on everybody else. We want to figure out what they could have done better, what, how they could improve. And our goal for the series was to look at ourselves and ask, how can we be better family members? And I know for some of you, you share with me your journey through this six weeks and how it's challenged you, how it's changed the way you think, or, or um, try, you've tried different things. And, and I hope that in, for that benefit to you, you're glorifying God. I know it's done it for me. And uh, our prayer is that in all these things, everything we do here, as we open the word, as we pray, as we worship, as we load in and load out, as we go out into the community and share the gospel, as we have youth meetings and we have family groups and we talk about financial peace, I pray that in everything we say glory to God because he is transforming his people. He is changing us. So this is the last week of our six-week series. And, um, and I, I just wanted to bring that to mind for you. I hope that the experience for you has been You've been challenged or changed in some way. When we approach the word of God in this time, and it's kind of become like a standard thing you do on a Sunday morning. Go and ignore the guy for a half an hour, 40 minutes. And that's okay as long as you're listening to your father who made you. I don't believe for a minute that God can't reach you right where you are even when you're not listening that's my deal too. That's how God reached me when I wasn't listening. And so I pray that when you come here, you come to listen to the Father who made you, whatever else happens. So in this final week of, of um, to, save a, uh, to Save a Family, um, our Building Strong Families, we're going to talk about how strong families leave lasting legacies. They leave a legacy behind and I want to share a brief story with you. We're going to do a couple of things here. Um, but uh, actually, let's do one thing first. I'm going to go ahead. If you have a Bible, I hope you do. Uh, go ahead and get it out. And if you don't, grab one off the chairs. They should be at the end of your aisles there. And uh, look this up. It's 1 Kings 19. Now, I told you before service you're going to need one of these guys. I hope you grab one. Um, because you can take that and you're going to stick it in there. We're, not going, to, we're going to come back to 1 Kings. We're actually going to look at a different verse. So this keeps you from having to keep your finger there. If you didn't get one of these, you'll have to keep your finger there, okay? First Kings 19 is on page 250, and just stick that right in there, and we're going to get back to that in a minute. While you're turning there, I want to read you a story um, of someone who left a legacy, right? Now, I don't know in your life what you, legacy you expect to leave or, or, or if you even think about these things, what will be here when you're gone, but I want to read you a brief story here. The story goes like this. In, in 1829... A British scientist by the name of James Lewis Macy Smithson left a legacy like few others in history have left. Smithson himself was childless. So his will stipulated that everything he had would go to his nephew, Henry Hungerford. However, if Henry Hungerford died without heirs, the fortune would then pass to the United States to establish an institution in Washington, D.C., the institution's purpose would be this. 
It will be dedicated to the increase and diffusion of knowledge. Well, as God would have it, Hungerford died six years later without progeny in 1835. And in 1835, the United States government took custody of that money and established something called the Smithsonian Institution. The Smithsonian Institute is arguably one of the wisest expenditures in our government's history. Without ever knowing it, James Smithson himself left one of the greatest legacies we have in modern times. Now, I read that because we've been talking about how to leave a legacy in your family. And we think a lot about our responsibility as parents, but the truth is that we affect everyone around us. And I'm not sure if you were like me, but, you know, I went to D.C. this summer for the first time, and before I'd gone, I said, somebody ever said, you got to go to the Smithsonian when you go to D.C., right? you got to go check it out. It's the coolest thing ever. What I didn't understand about the Smithsonian is it's not a place. Do you know this? There's not a Smithsonian you go to. As a matter of fact, one of the problems that we had when we went to the Smithsonian was we didn't have enough time to go to the Smithsonian because the Smithsonian is all over Washington, D.C. It surrounds our national mall. And it's amazing to think that this one person left this in his will that my son and I were so blessed by. What is that, 170 years later, 180 years later? So don't doubt for a minute that you can leave a legacy. Now we're going to do one other thing during the service today, and then we're going to, we're going to pray here as we, as we begin this, but I want you to get a real picture of what this looks like. We're going to do two things during the service today. It's going to help you get a picture of what we're talking about when we talk about leaving a legacy. And uh, I'm gonna, I have this thing here, right? And I'm not sure if you know what this is. You know what this is? Huh? Look at you guys, college students, so smart. It's impressive. I thought it'd be a pipe. That's why it's a pipe, you know? Um, now, here, here's full disclosure, because somebody is going to look at this and go, oh, it's just a piece of PVC. Well, it is. Okay, I ordered one of these a week ago, and it didn't get here in time. So we have a real one coming. But it's, I built it to dimensions, because I'm such a nerd, I had to do that. I had to look it up on the internet and find out. If any of you are relay runners, you can say, that's not right. I would love to hear what's right. I've never carried one of these before. But I want to pass this around today during the sermon. And I want every person here to touch it, every one of you. And, and what we're going to do is, I'm going to start it here in the front somewhere. Probably, I don't know, I'll start with Steve, okay? And then Steve's job is going to be to hand it to one person in some orderly fashion now. Please don't be creative and hand it three rows back because it's going to screw up everything, all right? But pass this around to someone. This isn't a race to see how fast we get it done. This is to see if we can hand it to each person intentionally, Okay? So get it, spend a minute, whatever time you need, hand it to someone else. We're going to go around this way and then go over to the end aisles. Bring it back like this. Tables are going to be fun because someone's going to have to get up and actually walk to a new table and pick and pay attention. You know, you're going to be all distracted. It's going to be great. And then just finish out the side of tables, come back around, and hopefully it'll end up over here magically somehow because you guys are so good at what you do. Fair enough? Before I hand this baton to Steve, I'm going to ask that we do what we always do at Family Bible Church is we're going to pray before we enter God's word for his spirit to reveal truth to us. Father, today we come to you. We've already come into your house of worship. We've come proclaiming the name of Jesus, our Savior. We love you. We know you. And we know that you are the revealer of truth. 
And so today when we come into your word, we pray that we would be changed by the experience. We pray that our hearts would be softened towards this message. Our minds would be open to the revelation. And that our hands and feet would take what you teach us and put it into practice in your world and for your kingdom's sake. We love you and thank you so much. We pray these prayers in the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So I'm going to go ahead and start this off here, big man. Hey, now, don't drop the baton. Don't drop the baton. All right. So I'm going to roll through here a few... um, a few thoughts here on leaving a legacy beyond your children, right? How we can leave a legacy beyond our children. And uh, I, I want to talk first of all about how um, Jesus himself is our best model. You know, everything that we end up doing, we talk about the word of God. We, 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 we look to see how the word reveals the Messiah to us. Jesus, the one that God would send to make everything Perfect. And, and, and Jesus, this is no small thing, but Jesus, when he came to earth, we always talk about this, we're going to be celebrating here in a few months, he came as a, as a baby, right? And then he revealed himself to shepherds and to foreigners. And, and he has this kind of story, it's such a scandal, in fact, that, that whenever someone speaks of him later, they say, he's from Nazareth. What good comes from there? Jesus came in a very normal way, and what he did, his model for leaving a legacy, was to choose a few people to pour into. I want to remind you that the Gospels are written by men who God had poured his, who Jesus had poured himself into every day. They had walked with him, they had slept with him, they had eaten with him, they had seen him taught, they had been amazed by him. But they were just like you and me. Matter of fact, the word says that they were fishing. A couple of them were fishing when he called them from their boats. So what does this have to do with leaving a legacy or the next generation? Well, this is what I wanted to point out to you. I did some studying this week on the disciples because someone made a preposterous claim that the disciples of Jesus were between 14 and 20. What? The disciples that I think of have long beards and wear robes and they kind of float when they move places. You know what I mean? <laughs> These guys, they had that halo thing, you know? I mean, they had, they had, they had long noses and big ears. You know what I mean? They, did, they were smart people. They were wise people. They were, they were special people. So I did a little digging around on this and it's interesting because you'll recall that the, the, the brothers of thunder who are called from what? Their father's fishing boat. You know, life expectancy then was about 40 or 50 for a fisherman. I mean, you didn't live that long as a fisherman. And so, as I read more about this, they were, th- they were thinking Zebedee, the father of these two guys, was probably only in his 30s. So how old are these kids who are learning? Probably 14 to 20, right? You start to get a feeling for, wait a minute, Jesus walked around and he said, and now, now you got Matthew, the tax collector. He could have been a little older. You got, you got these, there are different stages of life. But, but he walks around and he just calls people where they are to follow him. And there's this truth that it's not age dependent. Jesus didn't come and choose the wisest people to follow him. As a matter of fact, Jesus chose the next generation. You'll remember uh, our, my affection for Peter because he was always getting into trouble, Right? 
Jesus was serious when he called Peter to his work. So I just want you to see, as we get into this idea of how we can leave a legacy beyond our children, because Jesus himself had no heirs, right? The Finchy Code aside and all the scandal and stuff, he had no heirs. And so whenever he, he didn't have heirs, he left a legacy just the same. I want you to see that. So we're going to get through some uh, scripture here. I want, to, I want to talk about a little, a few things with you, and then we're going to jump into the main text today. So, so this is Paul. Now, Paul was a guy who was really interesting in the New Testament because he's a guy who uh, didn't meet Jesus face-to-face, as you and I would think of meeting him face-to-face. Paul was not one of the disciples, right? And yet, Jesus met Paul where he was and intervened in Paul's life. And Paul says so. You know, he said, Jesus, I, that's why I'm an apostle. Because Jesus revealed himself to me. A friend of mine said, this is great news for you and I because that means Jesus can do the same thing for you. You didn't have to be there in the boat with him to get it. The spirit of Jesus can reveal himself to you anytime. And Paul himself writes this. He wrote most of the New Testament, by the way. And he wrote this very thing, which is really interesting because this is a very hard verse to get your head around. Paul was talking to the church in Corinth about how to follow Jesus, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And Paul said this, if you're having a hard time figuring it out, just follow me. I don't know if you're like me and you look around, there's so many religious leaders who fail, like spectacular failures, right? But here's Paul saying, follow my example. Why? As I follow the example of Christ. And we're talking more about that later you know, about how we disciple others toward Jesus. But I just want you to see that Paul himself said this to the church in Corinth. If you're having a hard time, follow me. No, I am not, because see, I'm very uncomfortable with that. Don't don't follow me, follow Jesus, because I'm going to make some crazy mistakes. No doubt about it. And the truth is that if you are following him, you should be able to say to someone, if you're having a hard time, be more more like me. I'm following Jesus. If, If, you know, we're kind of going the same way here. So in that way, we can walk together as we follow our Lord. This is what Paul said. Here's something else Paul said. He wrote this letter. There's two letters in the, in the New Testament, uh, or three. First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. They're written to young leaders in the church, right? And Paul had some things to say to these young leaders. He was kind of leaving a legacy to the next generation. That's what Paul was doing. When he would write a letter, he was like, this is serious stuff. I'm going to write this to you. When it got really heavy, he would go and visit them in person. Right? And this is what he says in second, his second letter to Timothy, which means that Paul had written Timothy, Timothy had written Paul, and Paul had written Timothy again at some point to communicate clear, clearly. And Paul says this, The things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust or give or hand off to reliable, reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Now, we talked a few weeks ago, maybe it was last week even, about how we are qualified to teach one another. We shouldn't believe that we're not. And so here Paul says, you know, these things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, teach those to reliable people who can teach others. Do you see what's happening here? So Paul's saying, I've learned them. I'm teaching them to you. You teach them to somebody else. And just hand it down and hand it down and hand it down. Timothy was a young leader in the church. You'll recall that Timothy was one whose grandmother and mother had instilled the faith of Jesus in him as a young boy. The second letter here is to Titus, right? And this is another young leader in the church. 
And, and I want to point out something because this is like the other gender thing. But if you read Titus around this, uh, Paul writes to the men too, right? When he tells Titus who to, how to instruct he's men and women. But this is just to show you that it's not a gender thing here. Who's supposed to teach? This is what he says in his letter to Titus. In the same way, teach the older women to teach what is good. And then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. Again, there's this idea that you teach the next generation. That you teach the next generation and beyond your own kids. I was really surprised. We had a silver ring thing two weeks ago, and I was really surprised. They did a survey of young people, of teenagers, and they asked them, who are the biggest influences in your life? Now, if you're a parent like me, you'd probably like me, you'd say, it's the TV, it's the rock and roll, you know, <laughs> the rock and roll. Thank you for laughing at that, Sierra. That was cute. All right. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's their friends. It, listen, you know what they said? The number one influencer, the teenager said, in my life is my parents. The number two, they said, was themselves. And those two made up more than 50% of the influence that they felt in their life. Don't believe the lie that we cannot influence our children, or even another generation. And so this is what Paul's writing to the church here. He's saying, listen, take some responsibility here. Teach the next generation what you know. It's what you're called to do. All right, so I'm going to have you turn now, if you would, with me to a psalm. This can be our, our, uh, our text we're going to jump into right now. I just want to read this with you. It's Psalm 78. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. And I want you to see again here how everything I just shared with you is from the New Testament. Now, this is from the First Testament, and this is going to be a song of insight, right, that you would sing to, to reveal what God has been doing to one another. Psalm 78. I'm going to go ahead and read while you finish turning there. Oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter hidden things, things of old that we have heard and known. Listen to what it says. The things our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. That's Yahweh, right? His power and the wonders he has done. I want you to see that with me real quick. We're going to tell them of the praiseworthy deeds of our creator, of his power, and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel. When he commanded our forefathers to teach their children, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children, so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they, in turn, would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. So here the psalmist is exhorting the, the, the followers of God to teach the generation. And what's really amazing is you're not just influencing the people you're influencing, but you're influencing to generations that the psalmist says that are not even born yet. They're not even born yet. And you can have influence by telling of the mighty works 
of God, the great things he has done. And I hope you're telling those stories. I hope you're telling those stories in your life and passing them along. Someone has called this the generational commission in Psalms. It's not just a commission for one time. It's just for me and I'm going to do it. It's generation after generation after generation, like a baton getting handed down from one to the next. So I want to talk about something here at Family Bible Church that we have. And and, um, we invest in future generations. And we do that many ways. But the one way I wanted to talk to you about today for a moment is through something we call Krabby. Who knows what Krabby is? Yes? Good. Most of you. Some of you. Right. Krabby stands for creative, really awkward... That's not true. (laughs) You guys. It stands for, now I messed myself up really, culturally relevant and biblically based youth. Right? That's what we call our youth program here at Family Bible Church. Now, truth is, Corey inherited it. You know, right? You were around, but you kind of inherited this crabby thing. But he, he still gets it. It's reaching kids where they are, knowing about them, and then showing them the relevance of Scripture to their life. It's an investment in the generations to come. Now, I want to take a moment and tell you all, because most of you all aren't there whenever Krabby is happening. Some of you kind of come and drop kids. Some of you show up for a few minutes and, and take off. But week in and week out, day in and day out, Corey and Carrie invest themselves in our children. I'm thankful that Corey and Carrie invest themselves in my children. Now, we could talk about other things, too like BLAST program. And there are people right there right now investing in our children, investing in my children. They're handing down the baton. They're passing on the great works of God. And, and I, I want to just thank Corey and Carrie for work that is too often thankless. I want to encourage them as well. We don't often see the results of our labor. But please trust that it's happening. I want to share another story with you, if I could. Um, one of the folks who hangs out with Corey and Carrie, besides my own children, besides my own children, is Sierra Oldenkamp. Yeah, I'm glad you're here today. And, and Sierra did something, and it's a little thing, it's a little thing, but I want to affirm it. Part of what they're trying to create in Krabby is a place where the group accepts one another, the group reaches out for one another, the group looks out for the stray, someone who's kind of off on their own. And um, one of the ways that Sierra did that recently was my son. The simple invitation. Do you want to come hang out with us? And I'm very thankful. Don't doubt the difference you're making. I want to take a chance here too and say this. It's not spectacular when you look at it. It's a few people in a room sharing their lives. But the impact can be eternal. One of the things, if you grab one of the um, engagement sheets this morning, one of the boxes on the bottom you can check there is say, get involved with Krabby. 
And I'm not just here to boost them up, I, but I, if you want to be part of the work that God is doing, get involved with Krabby. Invest yourself in someone else's life. There's other ways to do it too. That's just one. You can do other things, family groups. You can do men's uh, ministry, women's ministry, breakfast. There's so many ways that we're investing. Meals, huge, huge. Don't doubt for a minute that you're not passing on the great love and power and mercy and wonder that we found in Jesus, our Savior. So we're going to do something kind of cool now. Um, by the way, I, I didn't just get here, you know. I didn't just get here one day. There have been people along the road who have invested in me. And, and it's made all the difference. There have been people along the way. I'm going to tell you about them a little bit later. But there have been a few people in my life that have just stood in the gap and said, No, you can do this. You're, you're, you're called to this. Respond to God. Look at what he's doing in your life. And I'll tell you something else, church. You have done that for me. Family Bible Church has done that for me. In, in the good and the bad, in the hard times and the easy times, you guys have taught me and trained me and compelled me and disagreed with me. And God is using it for his glory. And I want to thank you for investing. So, what we're talking about here is not typical church stuff, right? This isn't just like come on Sunday, punch your card, check yes on the box because you've accepted Jesus and hang out till heaven shows up, you know? This is like the stuff that really transcends even what we would do in a little C church. It transcends what we would do in a little community like Highland, in a little state like Illinois, in a little country like the United States, in a little planet like the Earth. These things transcend all boundaries. Because what we're doing when we do kingdom work is we're releasing the oppressed into the kingdom of God. And that's big work that doesn't know boundaries. And I hope that you see your influence in that way as well. I'm going to ask you to reflect on a question. And we're going to do something kind of cool this morning. But here's the question I want you to reflect on. How can I be intentional about mentoring someone else? I mean, how can I be intentional about investing in someone else and handing off the great and mighty works that God has done? So, so this is really cool. We always say God is sovereign, and he is, and he has plans, and he does. And this morning, I'm going to actually ask a friend of ours to come up. Now, some of you may know him, and some of you may not, but his name is Aaron. Um, I'm going to push here one more time. Um, Aaron McCullough. And he's going to correct me when he gets up here because he's going to come up and talk to us for a minute. On his way up here, he's been running sound for us this morning. Uh, is it McCullough? Is that how you say it? That is good. Oh, yeah. God is good, too. All right. And so um, I want to, uh, we're going to do a little interview. This is the first. This is. <laughs> and so um, if you don't know uh, Aaron, he's been hanging out with us for a while. And, and here's what's cool about this, what's, you know, is that, um, you know, this series has been planned for a while. We've been working through it. And a few weeks ago, Aaron comes to me on his own. He's like, dude, I want to, like, talk about some stuff, right? And I was like, 
huh, okay, I'll keep that in mind. And then I open my coming up weeks, notes, things, and I'm like, it says, invite someone between the ages of 18 and 25. 23. Yes. <laughs> to share their story. And I just thought, well, praise God. So actually, we did talk about it a little bit and said, praise God, right? And so what we're going to do is kind of ask him a question. I'm going to let him answer. And he's going to talk. He, he wants to share some things on his heart. And, um, and so we're going to do that together right now. So, so the first thing, Aaron, just, just to kind of give us some idea, other than your name, we've got your name now, right? And your face. And he runs sound for us sometimes, right? And plays in the band sometimes. Yeah, every now and then. Every now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us more about yourself. So yeah, my name's Aaron. I'm 23. Uh, I graduated from Highland High School in 2006. Uh, right now I'm going to SIUE. I just changed my major to history. So I'm majoring in history and minoring in philosophy, which is a bit of a difference than what I've been involved in previously. And uh, I got two part-time jobs. One's at Domino's as a delivery driver. Here in Highland? Yes. And the Domino's. other one is working with the YMCA in Edwardsville with the kids program. Um, it's called Latchkey, if any of you have heard of that. So, uh, other than that, um, I'm sure you could find more about, or more about me if you uh, come up and talk to me. Yeah. And so you were born and raised here? No. You're, oh, see? No, I've been in Highland since eighth grade. I was born in Australia. Wow. For those of you who don't know that. Um, but I've been in the U.S. since I was 10 years old, so it's been, I've been here more than half my life. And no cool accent. Not anymore. What happened? I lost it. The girls dig that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I would just make one up. I'd just say, I'm from Australia. You know? And just make one up. All right. So then, and you want to talk to us this morning because you wanted to share, you know, we're going to, I'm going to ask you, I guess, tell us about your encounter with God, how this happened or what, what it looked like. All right. Well, um, I'll start with before. Like, if you would have met me about a year ago, you, you wouldn't recognize the person I am today. Um, and I didn't just wake up one morning, get out of bed, and say, you know what, I'm going to be different. It wasn't like that at all. Because um, if it was up to me, if it was up to my decisions, I'd be partying and drinking like I was before, involved in a lot of uh, destructive behaviors. Um, I didn't really have any goals or directions, direction in my life, and I just kind of uh, found my identity in whatever pleased me at the time. And so I just found myself being wrapped up in what the world had to offer. And so um, one night I had, a, I, got the, I had the opportunity to have um, a spiritual conversation with my friend Zach, who's not here today. He's not here today, yeah. Um, he's at work. But uh, anyway, um, at the time, my views on God was that he didn't exist. And once you died, that was it. So that's kind of depressing. But um, in the middle of the conversation, I just, it was like God reached his hand into my head and flicked a switch. And I just realized how real and how personal he was. But because of sin, because of my sin, I was completely separated from him. And there was not a single thing I could do in order to please him and enter into his kingdom. And then I met Jesus, and, um, who, who came, lived a perfect life, and uh, take, took upon the entire sin of the world, including mine, as he hung on the cross, and took God's wrath, which me and everyone here deserve, but because of God's grace, just forgives us. And so um, I trusted him that night and realized that I needed to stop living for myself and start living for God. Wow. So, so that was it. So, so uh, he came to you, you came to him? He came to me. Yeah. I was not searching for anything at the time. 
I was just kind of living life, and he kind of intervened. Yeah. And one thing I would share here as we're talking, too, is it's not normative. Sometimes we have a tendency to think what happened to us has to happen to everybody. I mean, God, you know, is uh, very creative in how he saves us. Yeah, like my friend Brian. Um, God just used me to kind of um, reach my friend Brian, who is way back there. Woo. And uh, just the circumstances that he was in is, was completely different than mine, but God used it. And th- what little knowledge I knew of God... He used it. Um, had nothing to do with what I, my power, my strength. It was all God. So, so tell us now. That's the next question we have. Tell us more about. So we've talked about who you are. Talked about your encounter with God. And tell us about life since. Well, since then, What's the journey it's just like? been. I've just been experiencing God's transform, transforming power. Um, ever since I accepted Jesus, there was a lot of things that God just took out of my life and made it easy for me to turn away from and turn to God. And I'm still experiencing that transforming power, just him pointing out sin in my life and me turning away from that and turning to him. And um, now I'm involved in Campus Crusader Christ at SIE, which is an organization that reaches college students. So I'm a part of that, which is kind of cool. So, very cool. And then, um, so what do you think, where do you think God might be leading you? We get kind of cautious here because we don't get ahead of him, but where, where do you sense things might be going or any sense of that at all? And well, in the short term, just working with Campus Crusade for Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, in the summer, I have the opportunity to um, go on summer project with them, which would mean I'd have to raise support, but God's got that under control. But um, other than that, I'm not really ter- too sure about long term, so we'll see. <laughs> it's probably a good place to be. Yeah, we'll see. Go, hey, wherever has. you want to go next. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, cool. And the last question that I had for you this morning is, um, and you kind of alluded maybe a little bit, but how can we help you? And your, how can we help you continue? Well, the main journey? thing is just prayer. It's praying that God would reveal Himself, His plan for my life, and that I need to rely on Him and not rely on my own strength and. Um, yeah, we just pray. Yeah. That'll be the best thing. Very cool. Anything else you feel compelled to share? Um, well, one thing that Paul talks about in the Bible is just that um, our faith is based on the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. Mm-hmm. And um, if, if that was false, then our faith means nothing and then we're, we're misrepresenting the God of the universe, the God who created us. And so for those of you who are just kind of peeking over the fence into Christianity, I hope this is encouraging. I just pray that you, you really um, you seek God and find out what it really means to follow Jesus because it's worth it. So, Praise God. Cool. I'm, I you. feel a little compelled right now um, to pray. So let's pray and then we'll continue. On. I, was gonna, I hope you're going to finish the sermon for me. I thought I'd just give you the Bible and you could go. Sure thing. Come on. I can do it. Join me in prayer if you would. Father, we just thank you so much for how you're moving in, in, in all of our lives. Not one life. It's not one story. It's this amazing, beautiful thing you're doing in so many lives at one time. And, uh, but today, right now, we just thank you so much for Aaron, for him coming to share his story, for the, the backstory that's there, the things you're redeeming, and, and for the places you're calling him into. And we do pray, Father, that you would give him clarity for his future, that he would wait upon you, and then when you lead, he would go. And whatever that is, not to make it high and holy, whatever it is, Father, that you be glorified through his best offering to you. 
We thank you so much for him, for his friendship, and for the fact that we get to share um, his story today. We pray a prayer of praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Yeah, thank you, man. Yep, you can stick right in here. Thanks, dude. So, uh, there's so much going on in my head right now. We're going to press on through here and see. Uh, I want to talk to you about how you can influence the next generation. What, it, what, some steps I guess you could take uh, to influence the next generation. Now, these are going to come from the Word of God, of course, because that's where we, we spend our time here at Family Bible Church. And uh, so the first, if you're thinking about how can I influence the next generation, kind of the first place we look is play a part now in our own generation. In other words, you don't have to wait around until there's another generation. Usually generational breaks are about every 20 years. You don't have to wait around until someone is 20 years younger than you. You can teach them something to invest. Uh, matter of fact, I have a few scriptures I want to share with you this morning about this. The first one here comes from the letter of Acts. Um, Luke wrote this letter after he wrote his Gospel of Luke. And it says this, uh, from one man, God. Now, God isn't the man. God's the one who made the man. That was he. There was a he there I took out. So from one man, he, God, made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth right? And he determined the times and set for them and the exact places where they should live. I've shared this with you before, but there's a theory right now about the, in, the incredible improbability that you and I would be together in this room today. It's astronomically improbable that we would be here, and yet we're all here today. And we all get to, to share this generation. And the word says in Luke's uh, letter of Acts, that, which is the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit, that that God had made all men, and not only that, but he determined the times set and the exact places where they should be. That means that if you're wondering, is this a mistake, God's saying, I've got you right where I want you. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. And that's from the 17th chapter of the book of Acts. If you want to look that up and read more about what it says there. The next thing here, so he has us right where he wants us, and then this is a story of David. Now, David was a psalmist himself. He wrote psalms, right? And he was a man of God. As a matter of fact, the Bible said he was a man after God's own heart, right? And, and, and David has an amazing story of, in Israel with the greatest king they had. And this is what it says. When David, the word says it again in the book of Acts from Luke, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers, and look what it says. It's graphic. His body decayed. Right? So even David, who was a man after God's own heart, had his time and did his work. And when his work was done, that was it. His time here on earth was up. And so this is true for us. So not only does God know the times and the places that he has us, not only has he put us here from the beginning of creation for a purpose, for a plan, as Aaron just shared, but then when we served our purpose for our generation, that's what we're here for. Our time is up. Talked to you earlier about God's sovereignty. I hope you can live in that place to say, God, you're sovereign. Here's the next thing. So the first is to play a part right now in your generation. By the way, I said in David's generation, he made influence in his generation, right? The second thing is this, to care about the next generation. To care about the next generation. Now, this looks a lot like listening. This looks a lot like listening to opinions and trends and music that you don't like. It looks a lot like being offended and uncomfortable. 
It looks a lot like wishing you didn't know what you just heard or found out. But beneath all of that, there is this overriding concern and care for the people coming after you. That you would, you would think that they were worth investing in. You would care about them. I'm going to share again from a psalm with you about this. This is Psalm 71, and it reads like this. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, the psalmist says. Do not forsake me, O God, until I declare your power to the next generation. Your might, I should read, to all who are to come. So he says, even when I'm old and gray, even when I'm at the end of my life, Lord, don't forsake me until I've poured out everything that I know about you, everything that I have to give to the next generation. This might be a challenge for you. Because you might be like, this whole idea might be like live and let live, man. Just live and let live. Listen, we have been given a purpose, and that is to transmit, to communicate the power and the majesty and the glory of God to the generations to come. And so this is the, we, we care about the next generation. Now here's what I want to tell you. I want to tell you a quick story about people who've invested in me, you know, because uh, I see others investing in each other. But there were two people who really God used instrumentally in my life. And the first is Tom Davis. He is a pastor that I was under when I came to faith as an adult I was thinking about him all week this week, Reverend Tom Davis. He is ordained. I was thinking about him all week, and I thought, you know, what was it that, 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 that how did God use him so profoundly in my life? You know what it was? It wasn't that he was a great preacher. He's a great preacher. It wasn't that he was a nice guy. He was a super nice guy. It was this. He came to my house when I was a non-believer, and he said, how are you doing? What do you think? What's going on in your life? And I told him I thought it was rubbish. I told him what Aaron kind of said. You're crazy. What are you talking about? I don't even know you, dude. I told you that story before. Chris kept saying, be nice to the pastor. <laughs> Y'all be mean to me. I just got it coming. <laughs> you know, that's what Tom would say. What goes around comes around, baby. Right? Listen, I just let him have it both barrels. I'm like, this guy's on my property. And listen, you know what he said to me? He said, I know you don't, Bill. But when you do, I thought, well, that guy's all right. So I kept hanging out until God used him to issue a challenge in my life. I've said it to you before, to read the word. And he just, God just grabbed me and like shook me around. But I say, thank God for Tom Davis. The ministry that he passed to me isn't a preaching ministry. It's this ongoing uh, kingdom of God work that transcends boundaries. And Tom and I are still on mission today together. We're still in the kingdom working together for the purposes of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second person I want to tell you about is a brother, friend of mine. Oh, uh, Don White. I had the privilege of serving with Don White as a deacon when I had no business being a deacon. And if any of you know Don, he was kind of in the community here for a long time. You guys might know him. But he was a, he was a, a, a short guy. <laughs> he was the kind of guy you could hug in your armpit. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he just fit there. He wasn't even offended because he should have been offended most of the time when I was hugging on him. I was just outrageous. But you know what? He was one of those guys that would say, that's great, Bill. That's great. You know, God can use a guy like you. 
the difference that these two made, the impact that they had, was because they were teaching me lordship, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. God is my sovereign. God is my creator. God is my master. But not lordship, little L, little O. See, we got a lot of people in the church that want to teach lordship, like, like do what I say. I'll tell you how to live. These guys are saying, no. Tom and Don were saying, no. Be accountable to the God who made you. He can use you. And they taught me lordship. I don't know who it is in your life that may have invested in you, but these guys, you know, Don was reaching like two generations down. You know what he's inspired in me? I want to be an old dude who goes up to a young dude who I'm completely thinking is nuts and go, God can use you. He's inspired me in that way. So the, that's the second thing is to care about the next generation. To care about the next generation. And the third is this, to teach a few. You know, we said it earlier, Jesus himself, he taught a few he just took a few those crowds would follow him for the miracles and all the stuff that went with it. But the people he was pouring into and teaching was just a few, a few. Psalm 145 reads this way. One generation will commend your work, right? Commend your works to another and they will tell of your mighty acts. That, that in this way, they will teach a few people. Now, I want to show you a picture. Earlier, we were warming up this morning, rehearsing. And, and um, Dan said, who's this, your grandma? I said, no, not my grandma. Anybody know who this is? You, you probably wouldn't know who, who it is. And this is going to be a great tie-in, Aaron, for you sharing this morning. And this is God's sovereignty, but check it out. This is Henrietta uh, Mears. Henrietta Mears. Now, Henrietta Mears um, has, has quite a storied uh, uh, history, but she loved the generation to come that was coming after her, so much so that she decided to be a Sunday school teacher. She thought they needed some good Sunday school teachers, and she did it. Well, then when she got in there, she realized that she didn't just need to be a Sunday school teacher. She needed to be to, to run the whole program at her church. And so she took over the whole program at her church, running the Sunday school for the kids. And one conviction that she had was that every believer in Jesus needed to know that they had a purpose, that God had a plan, and that they could serve in a tangible way, in a real way, that God wanted them to be part of his kingdom work. And she took that very seriously. One of the things that she did was she basically, someone called her when I was looking it up, um, the grandmother of modern evangelicalism. That's the people who spread the gospel. She was that impactful. If you don't believe me, here are a few things from her story. She served as the head of that Sunday school for more than 35 years. And she raised a generation of amazing men and women. One of the people who she mentored, Aaron, for 11 years was Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. She taught him for 11 years to be a follower of Jesus. Um, Campus Crusade is the largest missions group in the world right now. She founded a place called Forest Home, which became the largest Christian camp in Southern California. And there's a famous story about a young, a young man who was at Forest Home who made a decision on faith to believe that God is who he said he is. And that man's name is Billy Graham. 
at her camp made his decision to take God at his word. And you all know Billy Graham and his impact in the world. She also influenced the founder of Young Life, if you've heard of Young Life, which is the largest high school ministry in our country. And she taught more than 400 young men and women to enter full-time Christian ministry in her years. 400 and hundreds other to become leaders everywhere they go. Not just in the church, but everywhere to be leaders. So here's the connection for you. Henrietta Mears. There she is. See, I had another person who invested in me. His name is Rob Pocek. He's related to me. He's also a pastor, a preacher of the gospel of Jesus. He invited me to go to a conference I'd never heard of called Catalyst about 10 or 10 years ago, something like that now. And uh, I went, I was a brand new believer, and I'm like, yeah, let's go to Catalyst, check it out, you know. So they had all these cool speakers. I love, I love a good preacher. I love a good preacher. And they're preaching the word. And then lo and behold, here comes this guy out on the stage. And this is what my cousin says to me. He leans over and he elbows me, Aaron, and he says, pay attention, this is about as close as you're going to get to the Apostle Paul. So I'm like, all right. About 7,000 pastors at this conference, by the way. 7,000 pastors. And why am I there? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and, I'm, and this guy comes out in a wheelchair with a nurse. And it's Bill Bright. I don't know this guy. I've heard the name. And I'm going, okay. <laughs> guy in a wheelchair. I don't know. Sure preach. I don't know what he's going to do. He didn't. He said, listen. And he starts to share the gospel of Jesus. Share the love of Christ. And you got all these people who are trained seminarians scratching notes as fast as they can. And I'm reading what they're writing. I was reading. I'm like, dude, you just wrote down share the gospel. Are you serious? Like you didn't know that before you got here? No. Bill Bright was there for more than that at the end of the, his time. And he shared so profoundly the gospel and how it's affected him. But he said this. He said, I'm going to do something crazy for a bunch of Protestants, but I want to commission a generation to make an impact. And he said, if you feel like you want to be part of that generation to make an impact, I want you to get on your knees in this auditorium. Now, this was a, a nice Protestant church. They don't have kneelers, you know. They have theater seats that kind of slope down. And I found myself getting on my knees I thought everybody would be on their knees. Who doesn't want to be a, a, a disciple of Jesus and a, a sharer of the gospel? And Bill Bright just prayed a simple prayer. It wasn't a high holy prayer. It was God used these young men to reach a generation for Jesus. We had it mirrors. The question we ask is, are we willing to do this? Are we willing to be intentional and teach a few? And then here's the third, the last thing here on our list is to, to really heavily invest in two or three. You see, because we get a lot of pressure to do a lot of things and it's just not possible. But there's some one, there's some two, there's some three that you can pour yourself into. That you can say, you know what? It's not short term. It's long term. It's not for a while. It's for the rest. A friend of mine this week on Facebook posted something. He asked this question, what are you doing today that will matter in 20 years? I'm going to ask the same question of you. What are you going to do in your days that will matter in 20 years? I pray we're doing something that's worthy of a timeless standard. Now, I promised you we'd get to this. We're going to wrap up right here. I want you to see 
the most profound text. I, I've just been, this has been my heart for a long time to share, um, just in general. Turn back to your bookmark, if you would. If not, turn back to your finger, which is probably stuck to the pages by now. Check it out. I'm going to read to you from 1 Kings 19, because this is what it looks like to empower someone else to follow Jesus, to follow God, to be a person of the way. Elijah, the great prophet, right? We know we've heard his name, Elijah. Well, here comes this name thing that happens in the Bible, but I wanted to read with you. In verse 19, this was the call of Elisha is how it's titled here. But listen to what the word says. So Elijah, this great prophet of God, this man of God, went from there. By the way, he was commanded, if you want to look it up, it was back a few verses around 16 or 17, where God tells him who to go and call. But Elijah went there to that place that God had called him to. And there he found Elisha, son of Shaphat. Okay, Shaphat. And and Elisha was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. And he himself was driving the 12 pair. So here's a young man in the fields and he's really getting after it. He's doing his work. And Elisha, or Elijah, went up to him, up to this young man. I want you to see the visual. And he took off his cloak, right? His garment, his outer covering. And he went over to Elisha who was plowing in the fields and he threw his cloak over this young man. In the middle of a normal day, in the middle of a normal field, In the middle of an ordinary situation, Elisha found himself covered by Elijah's cloak. He knew what this meant because Elijah was a well-known prophet. Elijah, let me pick up where I was at here. He threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and he chased after Elijah, right? And this is what he says. Just let me go back and kiss my mother and my father goodbye, and then I'll come back to you. And Elijah said, go back. What have I done to you? So Elijah, Elisha left him and went back. He took the yoke of oxen, and he killed them all. He burned the plowing equipment, and he cooked the meat and gave it to all the people, and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and become his attendant. This text has always spoken so profoundly to me because it's this process of taking off what we have of what we've earned or what we've learned or where we are and placing it around someone else who God is calling to serve in this way and empowering them to be like us. If you don't believe it, read the rest of the story about Elijah's cloak. God clearly says, this is my plan for him. I wonder, are we doing this? Are we doing this in our lives? So I'm wondering also, did our baton make it? Oh my, look at there, Sierra holding camp. It made it all the way around. We're going to do something else today that's like this, that's like this right here. Um, but I, I want to share a quick story with you. Uh, I don't know if you remember, and I didn't know this, but a few years ago, um, we were in the Olympics in Beijing. Do you remember this? Anybody a track and field fan? fan? Yeah, there you go. And, and um, they were, the men were running the 4 by 100 relay, and they were running with the baton, and they had run three legs of the race. And there's the last leg, the fourth leg, it's called the anchor leg. Do you know what I'm talking about? The anchor leg is your fastest, your strongest, the guy who's going to get it done. And as the third runner reached out the baton and 
put it into the hands of the next runner, the guy who would finish the race, complete the course, win the silver or gold, this happened. Oh, no. And then this happened, and the world was watching. And they were immediately disqualified. They all ran for nothing. And then what's even more amazing is later that same day, the women's U.S. team, the men were going to medal, the women's team was running, and, and they had run three of the four runners of the 4 by 100 relay. And whenever the third runner ran up behind the fourth runner and reached out the baton and went to put it in her hand, this happened. And the world was watching. And they were disqualified. And I wonder, do we take our role seriously? Do we think that God has given us anything worth passing on? I think he has. So the family challenge this week is for you to invest in someone else, for you to, to find a way to intentionally, to, here's the challenge, to pray that God would show you how you are to invest in the next generation. See, the big thing about Elijah and Elisha and the cloak and all that stuff to me isn't Elijah and Elisha and being a prophet and getting to speak for God and all that stuff. The big thing for me is that it looks a lot like Jesus. We're going to share communion this morning, and that'll be that we're going to conclude our service. But you know when Jesus gathered around the table with his 12 disciples, he broke bread and he gave it to them, and he said, take and eat it, right? So he gave it to them, and then he said, and every time you do this, remember me. And they passed it. I'm going to ask, can we get, um, who we got here? Freddie? Do you mind getting the... Dale, do you want to help him out? We just need two of the, two of the bread. And so, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to think of today, as you hand this elements around, and it's just bread and it's just juice, but I want you to think about what you're sharing with each other. I want you to think also about who isn't here to receive it. Who isn't getting it today? Come right here to the front, guys, if you would. Because the legacy that Jesus left us in the gospel is that we hand this plate, right, to one another, and we receive it from one another. And in that way, we proclaim the gospel that Jesus died on the cross and that his covering just overcomes all of our sin. I'm going to ask you to pray with me and then I want you to consider that as we pass these along to receive him today. Jesus, our Lord and our Master and our Savior, I pray that today you would make it clear to us the price you've paid, how much you've given, how much you love us, how much we're covered in you. And then I pray, Lord, as your will and in your way and your time, that you would challenge us 
to the places that we ought to be going and sharing and loving and serving as a response to what you've done in our life. We thank you so much for the cross that saves us. We thank you so much for the resurrection that guarantees us life in your kingdom. We thank you so much, Jesus, that you're praying for us right now, that you're praying and you're saying, I want my will in your life. May our prayers be like yours today. May we be completely, 100% following you. We ask these prayers um, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in name, in your name, amen. As you receive and you pass it to someone else, be intentional. And then as you're able to receive Jesus today, I invite you to do that.